Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up? This is Michael Rappaport. You are now listening to a brand new I Am Rappaport stereo podcast. I am in the finals. I have reached the promised land. I am in the finals of two, not one, but two of my fantasy football leagues. People want Santa Claus to be non-binary. Pete Davidson threatened to off himself, and I'm the bad guy. Plus, we have special guest, the roast master himself, shit-talking extraordinaire, comedian shit-talker, Jeff Ross. Motherfucking Jeff Ross is with me on the I Am Rapport Stereo podcast. Talk about writing material for Hillary Clinton to use against Trump. A Danny Aiello story for the ages, and so much more with the roast master himself, Jeff Ross. All that and more on a smash mouth, big body, I am Rappaport stereo podcast. Miles Jordan, let me get something real nice, something real proper, something real funky. Thanks to Roman for supporting today's I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Roman is a men's health company that offers remote online diagnosis for ED and a convenient, discreet monthly delivery of the medication. For a free online visit, go to GetRoman.com slash champ. That's GetRoman.com slash champ for a free private online visit. Go to GetRoman.com slash champ. All right, see, I am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. It's the Gringo Man Dingo, a.k.a. the White Chocolatito, a.k.a. Bird, a.k.a. White Mike, a.k.a. the Jake LaMotta of podcasting. And I got to be honest, I'm a little out of my fucking tree because I'm a champion. 
I made it to the fucking promised land and not one, but two fantasy football leagues in the infamous Howard Stern Fantasy Football League, a.k.a. the Stern Show Fantasy Football League. I, uh, I violated Will Murray, buried that cocksucker, Will Murray. I'm in the finals. I'm playing against Mushmouth. J.D. Harmeyer. They're calling this finals the Mushmouth versus the fucking Motormouth. Brent, bald Brent, button dick Brent, I ruined him. When I beat him two weeks ago, he has lost every game since I fucking stripped him of everything he had in the 2018 fantasy football season. And in my other league... It was murder. I told you I was playing against Ja Rule, rapper Ja Rule. I like Ja Rule, but there's no feelings in fantasy, and there's certainly no fucking feelings for the person you're playing against to get to the finals, motherfucking finals. I'm in the finals, both fucking leagues. I'm hyped up. I'm disoriented. We have Mr. Morris. Mr. Morris made the meme is in the fucking building. We're in the green room of the Hollywood Improv. What a day. What a day. Disruptive behavior. Disruptive attitude. Disruptive disposition. This is the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. There are so many different things to talk about. So later on in the episode, we have a pleasant, pleasant, pleasant surprise. Jeff Ross. You know Jeff Ross is. Comedian. He created the comedy show, the Comedy Central comedy roasts. They roasted everybody. Rob Lowe, Justin Bieber, Dick Stain, Donald Trump, Joan Rivers. They just roasted Bill Bruce Willis. He created the whole thing. He's the roast master. He's a true blue fantastic shit talker. And the interview with him coming up later on in the episode is gold. It's funny. It's smart. It's bugged out. And you know what? He shits on me. And, and I tried to fight back, but he is he is the roast master. He tried to come at me. I tried to fight back. He tells a fantastic Danny Aiello story. He, did, he had to roast Danny Aiello, and Danny Aiello cried. Because he made Danny Aiello cry, I Aiello'd Jeff Ross. It's a fantastic interview. So I'm going to just jump into this. On Saturday, Pete Davidson and Kanye West were tweeting away. Tweeting away. It was all over Twitter. Kanye West had been going for the last three days. This, that, and the other. He just been, he's been in beef with Drake. He's in fucking beef with Drake. Where apparently, apparently, allegedly, from what I read in the tweets, because Kim Kardashian got all freaked out, Drake, apparently... Per Kim Kardashian and Kanye West threatened the West family, the West Kardashian family. This is a shit show. This is a fucking shit show. So Kanye West, we, we what, what, what more can I say about him? I think I've ielloed him. I've I've Willie hutched him, and I've ielloed him again. I don't know what more to do. I, I I don't know what more to say about this fucking this fucking guy. Okay. And then Saturday morning, 
Pete Davidson, who I think I just ILO'd, or I may have Willie Hutch, or I may have given him a combination of two also. I didn't know this. He puts out a, a, an Instagram post the night before basically saying that he wants to end his life and, you know, he tries to make people happy, yada, yada, yada. I didn't see that. I get on fucking Instagram. I do an impression of Kanye West and Pete Davidson. Now, I'm not an impression guy, but this was my impression of Kanye West and Pete Davidson. Meow, 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 meow. Ariana Grande. Meow, 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 meow. Drake's a douche. Meow, 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 meow. Ariana Grande. Meow, 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 meow. Drake's an asshole. That was my impression of Pete Davidson and Kanye West. And people on Twitter, the devil's playground, went crazy. How could you mock mental health? You're a fucking asshole, this, that, and the other thing. Now, granted, I did not know that Pete Davidson had basically sent out a suicide threat. I did not know that. So, every, you know, my, my, my thing is like usually like, fuck you, let the tweet live. But then people are like, yo, this guy's threatening, uh, you know, saying he's killed, wants to kill himself. And this is like less than 24 hours. I didn't see that. I don't follow him. I thought the motherfucker quit social media. He made it, he went on social media a week ago to say that he was quitting social media. So I made an executive decision because I was like, God forbid something happens to this person. I have to apologize. This is beyond hurting someone's feelings. This is beyond that. God forbid something happens to this kid. When I was made aware of it, I said, I did not know this fucking guy put out his Instagram post. I would never mock somebody when they were in that kind of trouble. And I took down my tweets. I didn't, you know, listen, it's hard to, it's hard to make these decisions. The gringo mandingo, I, I stand by my shit talking, but then this got beyond that. And, and I was like, God forbid something happens to this fucking kid. I would feel bad. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't want to be the fall guy. Be totally honest, Mr. Morris. I wouldn't want to be the fall guy because we're not talking about somebody breaking a leg. We're talking about somebody threatening to kill himself. No funny, no lighthearted, no nothing. So I was like, I, listen, I stand by what I say, but I also, I'm not one of these people go, I don't take away anything I say. I'm not, I'm not one of these people go, uh, uh, you know, everything I say is etched in stone. I don't believe in it. I, I don't believe in it. I believe in that you should, if you say things that are offensive and they're not uh, offensive for a reason or you didn't intend to offend people, you should apologize for those things. Otherwise, you're just standing, uh, you're standing your ground for the sake of standing your ground. I don't believe in that. I'm 48 years old, grown-ass man, and this is nothing to be played with. Somebody threatening to kill himself is nothing to be played with. Anyway, it turned into a whole thing. Michael Rapport mocks Pete Davidson, comedian Michael Rappaport mocks comedian Pete Davidson, which is a fucking joke in itself. Now, Pete Davidson, listen, I don't know, why, why is this guy the focal point of Saturday Night Live? He's a bit fucking player on Saturday Night Live. Now, Pete Davidson, listen, obviously you got fucking problems. Uh, if I were you and I were Lauren Michaels, I'd be like, we're shutting you down for the season. We're sending you to Arizona. You're going to go get help. They didn't do that. Saturday night, Pete Davidson worked on Saturday Night Live. Less than 24 hours after his tweet was out, Pete Davidson was on Saturday Night Live. And as a punishment for making everybody worried about him, he had to introduce Mark Ronson and Miley Cyrus. That's what the fuck you get. And also, the New York Police Department had to be called in. The New York Police Department went... Two NBC studios went to uh, 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 Rockefeller Center, Radio City Music Hall, 
and had to investigate a possible suicide attempt from Pete Davidson. This became a whole fucking thing. Now, let me tell you something. If I was Lauren Michaels, you're not working that night. If I was his family, you're not working that night. We're sending you right to the hospital. We're sending you right somewhere to get help. How the fuck can you say threaten suicide and then be on Saturday Night Live less than 24 hours later? Listen, I have no fucking clue, okay? I don't fact check. Clearly, I don't fact check. And I don't fact check before I send my tweets. I try to do my thing and let the shit fall where they may. But I think Saturday Night Live going forward, they need to put, they need to put out a, some sort of injury report. Like, oh, Pete Davidson, uh, he may or may not be uh, performing tonight. Like a football player. You know, like like a football player, he he was uh, you know he's had some antics this week. Michael Che is suffering from uh, you know a, a bout of the gout. Like the, the, this is a shit show over at Saturday Night Live. Okay, I know Pete Davidson suffers from Crohn's disease, which is the cousin of ulcerative colitis. I have ulcerative colitis. Listen, what what can I say? I bet you one thing though. In the next, let me guess. The next 16 months, Pete Davidson will do a Netflix stand-up comedy special. And it'll be called something like, I'm dying up here, or killing me softly, which Chris Rock already used that, or something like that. He'll be mocking this whole thing. And I will be sitting there going, why the fuck was I in the middle of this bullshit? Regardless, I want this kid and anybody else to take care of themselves, yada, yada, yada. That goes without saying... But the, the Twitter do-writers, the Twitter do-gooders who will walk past homeless people on the street, who will walk past severely mentally ill people on this street on their way to get coffee, who are now the mental, the mental health warriors they, who, will, who will ignore people on the subway talking to themselves, who are clearly in dire fucking need of help. They're so concerned with Kanye West and Pete Davidson but in, uh, because they're celebrities, but real-life people that are really suffering. I don't understand how Kanye West and Pete Davidson have become the face of mental health. I don't know their paperwork. Mr. Morris, have you seen their paperwork? As far as we know, they're self-diagnosed. They both said they go on and off medication on their own. We don't know what the fuck Pete, Pete Davidson was on or not on when he sent that fucking tweet out. That being said, that being said, it is what the fuck it is. But the gringo man dingo is always in the middle of some bullshit, whether I want to be or not want to be. But I'll tell you one thing. You know who you got to watch out for? Ariana Grande. Because Kim Kardashian and the Kardashians, they're career killers. Ariana Grande, she got the... She got, that, she got that good power. Ooh. She got motherfuckers all fucked up in the game. Talk about a fuck game that must be truly insane. Ariana Grande got that teeny bopper shit going on. She got motherfuckers bent out of shape and flipped their fucking wigs. Pete Davidson, listen, you're on your way. What more do you need out of life? They just said you had big dick energy. She said you had a, a ginormous loaf. You're on Saturday Night Live. Things are going good for you, my man. Holler at your boy. You got Crohn's. I got colitis. We both know what it's like to shit on the 405. Hit me up, Duke. I'm a fan of yours. Okay? I'm a fan. I am Rappaport Podcast. In other news, some people 
That's all they were described as. I'm just quoting. Some people are trying to push forward a gender-neutral, non-binary Santa Claus. They want Santa Claus to be non-binary or possibly have a female Santa Claus. Well, if you have a female Santa Claus, it's no longer Santa Claus. It's, I don't know what it is. If it's a non-binary Santa Claus, it's no longer Santa Claus. And what do we do with the reindeers? What happens to Rudolph and them? Okay, when does it end? When does it stop? And what about Mrs. Claus? What the fuck happens to her? This is the same thing like the, the, the Ernie and Bert, Bert and Ernie thing. These are, these are not real people. Okay? Uh, if you want to uh, argue about uh, the sexuality of Santa Claus, Mrs. Claus, uh, uh, you go in the, in the room and you, you go in the, in the closet with the people that are arguing about uh, the sexuality of Bert and Ernie. When is it going to fucking end? Listen, not everything is for everybody. Not everything is for everybody, okay? We are trying to hashtag our way out of people getting rejected for the most minuscule, non-important things in the world. You can't hashtag your way out of discomfort. Everybody suffers from discomfort. It's part of fucking life. We're not even talking about major tragedies. We're talking about basic little discomforts. What, what is it going to end? Santa Claus is a guy. Mrs. Claus is a woman. You want a non-binary person that brings gifts? Create the new characters. You want a female Santa Claus? It's no longer Santa Claus. Santa Claus is a fucking dude. He's married to Mrs. Claus. This is historical shit. Every week there's a new thing, a new complaint. I, I don't know when it's going to stop. When the fuck does it stop? Uh, they're trying to shut down baby it's cold outside. People are offended by baby it's cold outside, but will dance to songs with Cardi B talking about getting her asshole eaten out. It's, it's okay to sing the lyrics of Cardi B getting her asshole eaten out or Travis Scott talking about fucking Kylie Jenner doggy style. That's good, but baby it's cold outside somehow, some way is now offensive. A radio station, which is now my favorite national radio station in Kentucky, said, fuck the dumb shit, and they played Baby It's Cold Outside yesterday for eight hours straight. Kentucky radio station KCCI, I think it's KCCI, I don't fact check, Wacky 103.5. Kentucky radio station Wacky 103.5, They said, fuck this bullshit. We're going to listen to Cardi B singing about getting her asshole eaten out, and then we're going to play Baby It's Cold Outside on repeat. This is where we're at. It's like a fucking, it's some sort of civil war going on. Bert and Ernie ain't gay. That's fine. Santa Claus is a guy, and Mrs. Claus is a woman. That's it. And Baby It's Cold Outside ain't going anywhere. That's my new favorite radio station. Give them a shout out in Kentucky. Wacky, W-A-K-Y, 103.5 Kentucky. And other crazy fucking news that has to do with hashtags and Twitter society and social media society. Woody Allen, 
It was an article written, if the, the movie Manhattan with Woody Allen and Mario Hemingway, which is one of my favorite movies. You can't get any more New York, the movie Manhattan, one of the best opening scenes, beautiful black and white cinematography, gorgeous. In the movie, Woody Allen, who's about 40 at the time, falls in love with a 17-year-old high school student. Okay, listen, it's a movie. I think uh, the, 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 the movie won a couple of Academy Awards. It was definitely nominated. It's a classic. It's a fucking dope-ass movie. We know Woody Allen's had uh, a history of being scrutinized. We know that Woody Allen uh, was uh, investigated twice, two fucking times. Two times, they found nothing. He's been accused of all these different things. They found nothing. Mia Farrow, all this stuff. Anyway, today... An actress, I can't remember her fucking name. I'm not checking her name. She's, she, she's not a very well-known actress. She came out now. She's 50-something years old. She wrote an article because uh, apparently the movie Manhattan was based on a real relationship. Well, it turns out this woman says that relationship was based on my actual relationship with Woody Allen when I was 16. She says when she was 16 and Woody Allen was 41, they had a relationship. It was sexual. It was physical. It was intimate. Woody Allen was married to Mia Farrow at the time. Mia Farrow is Ronan Farrow's mother. Ronan Farrow is the guy that had broken out all the news on Harvey Weinstein. He's an investigative journalist, done a lot of good work, uh, sort of the, 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 the go-to person. I think he might even have won a Pulitzer Prize or he's up for a Pulitzer Prize for all his work on uh, Les Moonves, uh, Harvey Weinstein, all that shit. Mia Farrow's son. Rumor has it, if you look at him, he doesn't look like Woody Allen. Looks like Frank Sinatra. Mia Farrow was married to Frank Sinatra. I, these are all allegedly. You're not fucking suing me. I do the suing. I do the fucking suing. If you know what I'm saying. So today, this article comes out that this woman wrote. She's very detailed about her relationship with Woody Allen. She was 16. It went on for a little while. Very detailed, sounds like it's real. She also talks about having threesomes while she was underage, using drugs with, boom, Mia Farrow. So now, not only is Woody Allen, Woody Allen was trending all day. Everybody's like, Woody Allen's this, Woody Allen's that. What about Mia Farrow? My question is to you, Ronan Farrow, when are you going to write the article taking down your moms? If you're really about that Me Too shit and you're really about that Pulitzer Prize shit, you need to do your due diligence. This guy does uh, reporting on 60 Minutes, Ronan Farrell. You need to do your due diligence and find out if your mom, Woody Allen, and an underage girl were freaking off. Are you going to bring down your mom's? Are you going to bring down your mom's Ronan Farrow? Now we're going to see if you're really bout it, bout it. It's easy to bring down that fucking savage dragon face Harvey Weinstein and that fucking sick fuck Les Moonves. What about your mom's? Your mom's was having threesomes with underage girls. You need to get to the bottom of this shit ASAP, Ronan Farrow. Mr. Moritz, you've never seen, you've been to shows, live shows. You've never seen me record a, a podcast live, right? I've never seen it. Is, is it bugged out? I'm tripping right now. I'm seeing a whole show just live right in front of me. You, you, you know it's bugged out because we're in Los Angeles. 
Uh, Mr. Morris uh, uh, is in L.A. He came through to the Hollywood Improv to uh, uh, check me out doing stand-up. I thought my show was at 8 p.m., had my schedule for the night, uh, my victory celebration all planned out. My show was actually at 9.30 p.m., so we had to flip the script and do the podcast at a different time. And having Mr. Morris, Mr. Morris, now, you, you've had this crazy sort of rise in the, in the social media world yourself. Have you been contacted by anybody specifically who's posted your me? 50 Cent has posted your shit. I think Puffy's posted your shit. Uh, Snoop post. Did you hear from any of these people yet? Uh, no. Just, well, 50 Cent's people. They, they reached out they, to Yeah, me. they reached out to me. Mr. Morris made the fucking meme. We just win at the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. WJW, we just win. I Am Rappaport Podcast. <sighs> what else is going on? Song of the day. You know this uh, chick, Tiana Taylor? She's married to Iman Shumpert, who used to play for the Knicks, who used to play for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think he played for the Cleveland Cavaliers the, one, the year they won the, the chip versus the Warriors. His wife is a singer. She's a dancer. She sort of came to national attention in that one Kanye West video where she's just dancing the entire time. She's sort of the, the lost lamb in uh, the month of June. Kanye West put out all those records. He put out the Nas record, put out his record, put out the Kid Cudi record. He also put out a Tiana Taylor record. Um, I didn't know much about her performing, but, and shots out to Darts Golden, Instagram, they banned him off uh, uh, fucking Twitter. He hipped me to this. Tiana Taylor's got a banger song and an even better video. The song is called Gonna Love Me. And watch the video on YouTube or watch the video on iTunes. It's called Gonna Love Me. Tiana Taylor featuring Ghostface Killer, Method Man, and Raekwon. And they're rocking under a perfect beat for them to be rocking under. And it's like, when they rock under the right beat, and it's always sort of some sort of soulful, soulful, boom bap inspired beat. When they're under the right beat, it's like ice cream on a, on a hot summer day. And the video is dope as fuck. So I suggest everybody check out this Tiana Taylor song and peep the video because Ghost is in it, Method Man is in it, and Raekwon is in it called Gonna Love Me. And Darts Golden hit me to it, um, our guy on Instagram, uh, one of the lost soldiers of the I Am Rapport, uh, Rapper Pack on social media. You know, they tried to fucking take us down. And I want to say something else about social media and taking us down. Mark Zuckerberg, you fuck you. This cocksucker admitted a couple of days ago that over six million pictures, six million pictures were, were put out by accident on Facebook. I'm still on suspension from Facebook. Suspend yourself, you fucking big nose cocksucker, you Mark Zuckerberg. You you six million people's privacy was jeopardized by you. And you're coming after me about ass scratching videos. I'm still on suspension. He admitted to it. I'm still trying to fight my case. This fucking guy Zuckerberg. I, I don't know what more to do with him either. I yelled him. Willie hutched him. I don't know what to do with him. Speaking of stand-up, Saturday night I rocked at the Improv, the Comedy Store, and the Laugh Factory. Shout out to all the people 
who listen to the Iron Rapport Stereo podcast that I saw at the Improv, the Comedy Store, the five uh, dudes who I got to chop it up with a little bit uh, at the Laugh Factory. Um, I hope you guys had a good time. I appreciate the support. I appreciate you guys coming out. It was uh, dope to see you guys and, and meet people. And, uh, you know, we're doing stand-up. I'll let you guys know when I'm doing stand-up. Um, and hopefully you, you can check it out and uh, come through. Uh, I think it's a, a good show. I'm on my way to uh, trying to put something together. Trying to put something together. It's, it's a different thing, but I definitely feel uh, starting to feel comfortable and I'm getting my uh, groove. Um, so la the other day, Los Angeles Ram, Marcus Peters, the Los Angeles Rams were getting their asses handed to them by the Philadelphia Eagles and slick dick Nick Foles. And during the game, Marcus Peters was getting heckled. Somebody was talking shit to him. He went over to the dude. The whole thing was caught on videotape. Apparently, this dude is about that life. He went up to money. He was talking that real shit. He was called him a fucking square. He said he would fuck him up and all this shit and then walked away. And people were celebrating it. Also, Oklahoma City Thunder goon Stephen Adams said somebody that told somebody to wait for them after the game and he was going to fuck them up. And oh, this all started this year, the highlight of the 2018 NBA season. Kevin Durant told somebody to shut the fuck up and watch the fucking game. Now, I am all for all of this. I am all for all of this. Now, some people said to me, because I tweeted about this, some people said, well, you're a shit talker yourself. How can you be supportive of it? I'm not shit talking in a derogatory way. See, there's an art to this. Not everybody can do this. You'll find out later on in the Iron Rap Poor Stereo podcast when Jeff Ross breaks down the art of roasting. He somehow does it when he's not emotionally involved. But there is an art to this shit. I have no problem with the players. The players fuck with me. I fuck with the players. I don't go to live events and scream and disrespect professional athletes. Now, if you want to talk shit and talk out of line to professional athletes who are also familiar with social media, they also uh, are, are grew up being filmed all the time and film themselves, and you want to talk shit to them, film them, well, you get that three-dimensional when Marcus Peters steps you and says, what's good? When you get a guy who's 280 pounds and from New Zealand got a ponytail and is not scared of anybody in the NBA telling you, yo, I'm going to wait for you after the game and fuck you up. Yo, that's what you wanted. You're saying inappropriate shit. These players don't get upset when you say your team sucks, you suck, you're a bum, why'd you drop that pass, you're a loser. But when you start going into some other level of things, that's when you're going to have an incident. That's when you're going to provoke one of these dudes to get on some Ron Artest, Steven Jackson shit. Now, obviously, I don't support any players doing that. But don't be surprised when you tell Kyrie Irving to suck your dick and he says, suck my dick back. And I don't know why everybody, when Steven Adams did it, he's a hero. When Marcus Peters did it, he's trending on Twitter. When Kevin Durant does it, he's got thin skin. As far as I'm concerned, Kevin Durant is giving you your money's worth. You're saying he sucks. He's a cupcake. You're a bum. You're this. You're that. He comes over and tells you right to your face with the camera on you, with the camera on him, shut the fuck up and watch the fucking game. As far as I'm concerned, you should be, become a fan of Kevin Durant in that moment. 
You're getting 365-degree, 24-7 all-access from Kevin Durant. I'm all for it. If you go to these games and you're disrespectful, you're inappropriate. I saw it happen at the big three. At the fucking big three, a guy's screaming and yelling at Big Baby Davis. I'm like, yo, you're on your own. You're cursing out Big, Big Baby Davis, who's 285 pounds. He's got two pending court cases. You're on your own, Duke. You're being disrespectful to a guy who's got a screw loose. You're talking crazy. And I think you should immediately be thrown the fuck out of the game. And when they come over and tell you what's good, you should become a fan because now you're getting that attention you want. You're getting that negative, negative attention. And, and that's the reason why the shame game is so popular with me and the young shooter, Dean Collins, who happens to be in uh, Mexico on vacation. Uh, and I'm just uh, shouting him out, even though I know he's not listening to this episode. Uh, I just wanted to uh, let you know that the young shooter is, is, is probably getting sunburnt right now in, in uh, Puerto Vallarta. Now, this is risky. This is a slippery slope, Morris. Vladimir Putin, Vladdy Vlad, has come out and said that he wants to shut down rap music, hip-hop. In Russia, he doesn't like the popularity of rap music in Russia. He says that it's rebel music. He says that it's too sexual, um, and it's it, it, it's putting out negativity. Now I got to quote the the great Chuck D and uh, Public Enemy. It takes a, nil, a nation of millions. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Vlad, it ain't going anywhere. You can bully Dick Stain Donald Trump, but you can expect records coming at you right now soon. You're going to get diss records. Thank God for your own sake. The great Tupac Shakur isn't alive. But there are some uh, what they call relevant rappers who are going to come at you. Now, listen, playing with fire. Because Vladimir Putin, uh, he's about that life. He's about that life. And, and I'm risking even mentioning his name on this Here I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast, the worldwide phenomenon. Trust me, we have fans in Russia. I'm not going to name names. We have fans in Russia. Okay? They bootleg it in. The fucking podcasting black market was created just to bootleg I Am Rapport Stereo podcast episodes in. I'm a Russian Jew. I'm coveted over there in Russia. Now listen, Vlad, people are going to start talking shit to you. Hip-hop is not going anywhere. They tried to shut the shit down in the 80s. It's 2018. It's about to be 2019. You're not going to stop this. This is pop mainstream music. People are singing singing carols about Cardi B getting her asshole eaten out. That's on the radio. It's so cryptic. People don't even know what's going on. Taking back shots and all this, this stuff that makes me blush. Vlad, you need to come to a party in the United States. You need to go to a strip club in Atlanta and learn about this and appreciate this shit because it's right up your alley. It's all about the things that Vladimir Putin is trying to impose on his actual country. Sex, money, and power. Sex, money, and power are probably the three most discussed, rapped about things in the history of hip-hop. Of course, there's other things. But if you broke it down, sex, money, and power are probably the top three things in hip-hop. Vlad, hold your fucking head, Duke. Finally... Before we get to Jeff Ross, uh, we have to remember the room tomb. So I got a new car. 
the OG Vroom Tomb, which has been with us since the inception of the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Classic episodes were recorded in that puppy. My lease was up. Okay? Now, if you remember correctly, I mentioned this before, and I was ashamed of myself. My last car was a BMW. Uh, it's like a soccer mom car. It's like a, a small BMW um, SUV. But not like an SUV with some bowls, not a Range Rover. Soccer mom car. Now, before I got that SUV, within two weeks, I leased a Range Rover, brought that back like a fucking asshole, got a Cadillac a week later, brought that back like a fucking asshole, and then got my soccer mom car like a fucking asshole. I overpaid for a soccer mom car for three plus years. Okay? Was not proud of that. I don't like overspending. Okay? But that car's in the past. We had some great moments in there, some great videos, some dance videos. A lot of great things happened in the 2018 Vroom Tomb, but we have moved on. We have a 2019 Vroom Tomb, which we will be podcasting from in the beginning of the year. And what more can I say? All right, I'm here with Mr. Morris, impromptu. It's the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. Let's just get to it. Jeff Ross, the roast master, co-star of Bumping Mics, which is on Netflix now, which is a three-part series with him and comedian Dave Attell, which is funny. It's them doing comedy at the Comedy Cellar in New York. It's like a docu-style shit-talking, snapping. There's, there's guests. It's, all, it's great. It's on Netflix. It's a three-part series. The guy created the Comedy Central roast. He's roasted everybody. Fantastic stories about Donald Trump, what Donald Trump was like. He, he knows Donald Trump. Well, he hung around Donald Trump, got great stories about Donald Trump before he was president, crazy shit about Donald Trump after he was president, how the roast came about, how he became a shit talker. It's a fantastic interview coming up next with the great, and I don't use that word lightly, with the actually great comedic veteran OG Jeff Ross coming up next on the Iron Rap Poor Stereo Podcast. Men, sometimes we are terrible. We're not good of taking care of our health, whether it's a knee injury, a back injury, or something worse. Guys are, are sometimes just more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it and acting like it doesn't exist rather than going to see a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED do not get treated for it. You always want to be able to perform. Thankfully, Roman created an easy, discreet way to get checked out by a doctor and treated for ED online. Roman is a one-stop shop where licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medication right to your door privately. No waiting rooms, no weird, uncomfortable face-to-face conversations, and no uncomfortable trips to a pharmacy. Nobody wants that. That's why we don't treat it. You can handle everything discreetly, privately, online. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com slash champ, fill out a brief medical onboarding, chat with a doctor, and get FDA-approved ED medications delivered to your door in discreet, unmarked packaging. There's nothing to be ashamed of. For a free online visit, go to GetRoman.com slash champ. That's GetRoman.com slash champ. Always. Jeff Ross, the roast master, is here at the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you, bud. 
Um, this is really great. I'm excited. I've been. I've. I've seen hostage videos more prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Please rescue me. I admit my crimes. Please, somebody come. This is great. Says all the charm of a garage sale. <laughs> Were you a shit talker growing up? I used roasting and some shit talking as self-defense. So I didn't go first, but if you came at me, I percolated and had it in the chamber. I grew up in a catering hall, and every, I was the boss's son. My dad owned a catering hall, my uncles and my cousins. So the, the employees would like, to, would like to bust my balls all the time. So I used it as a self-defense to take bullies down. When did you realize that you were good at it? Because I had a similar thing. Like, it was my, you know, way to keep people yeah. at arm's distance. Like, I wasn't a fighter. Right. You know, I played ball. I wasn't the best basketball player. But, like, you know, you could. I, my first big laugh I ever got, the first laugh, I was about 10, 11, 12 years old, was in Union, New Jersey, in the Antoinette, Donnie, Darren, and Daniel Ananelli's backyard. And I didn't know I was funny until this moment when I wasn't a good, like you on the basketball court. Not a great athlete, but. The ball's going around, and I always knew whenever I got the ball, I was either afraid to shoot because I'd get pushed down or I'd afraid to pass because it would get stolen. I couldn't dribble. These guys were good athletes. And it's tie score, shirts and skins, three on three, and I can't shoot. I can't dribble. I can't get away. They're going to take the ball from me. And my three teammate, my two teammates are going, shoot, 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 shoot. And I know if I shoot, I'm going to get smacked down. And I just dropped the ball. And I went, bang, bang, bang. And they all fell down on the floor laughing. We were little kids. That's funny. The fact that I didn't care enough about the tie game, extra, you know, winning, and I just gave it up for the laugh. But you, that was something that registered in your head. It was a calculated joke to break the tension of me about to blow this tie score overtime sudden death game. But when you were, like, a kid... Were you into comedy? Were you, like, did you like, like, what were you into? I loved comedy, didn't know it was comedy. I was Who into, did you like, like? I was into the rock star comics. Cheech and Chong, Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, guys playing arenas. I didn't even know it was comedy. I bought the albums just like I bought Springsteen and The Clash and The Ramones and whatever. I didn't know it was comedy, but it was still... It was, I loved it. Who was the guy out of those guys or, or, or other guys that spoke to you? Like, I had, like, Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor, but Eddie Murphy was, like, when he came out Delirious, Saturday yeah. Night Live, like, he was, like, everything. And then, but when he did Delirious in the red leather outfit with the medallion, I didn't, again, I didn't know it was comedy. I wanted to be him. I didn't want to be a comedian. I wanted to be Eddie Murphy. The first live comedy I ever saw was at the Capitol Theater in Passaic. A band called the Bus Boys opened for Eddie Murphy, and then Eddie Murphy came out. And my one buddy that had a car and could drive drove us down there from North Jersey down to Passaic. And it blew my fucking mind. I was like, this guy's up there by himself in a leather suit saying whatever he wants to say. I mean, the ultimate free speech. I, right. lo I loved it. I'd never seen anything like that. Wait, now, and like, I never thought I'd be a comedian. Didn't even cross my mind. When did you decide, like, I want to do this? I didn't decide. My buddy Mark Chapin that I went to college with, he decided for me. He Why? He we were a couple years out of college. I already went to film school. And I'd already what been. What school did you go to? Boston University. 
You went to f four years of film school? Yeah. Thinking you were going to be a director? Just thinking I didn't want to be a caterer like the rest of my family. Uh-huh. Just anything to get me out. And then go ahead. And then after we graduated, I started a business with my buddy Brian Weiner for two years in New York City making videos like health and management videos and just how-to videos. And you were in the videos? No, I would write them. My buddy would direct them. And we were just trying to get a little business going, but we were way over our head. And you had no, through, through film school, through studying film, through studying directing, through all this shit, it was never like, I want to do this shit? No, it didn't even occur to me. And then what happened? What happened was slowly, like whenever we had a meeting, my, my partner was nervous and I would do the talking. And I had another buddy, my friend Mark, who I mentioned, who I'm still good pals with, he said, you know, I've been taking this comedy class. I think you'd be good at it. And I was just some chubby loser living in New Jersey. Oh, you Jersey were chubby then? With my grandfather. You making fun of me? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to get as many points as I can early because I know you're going to get me at some point. <laughs> I'm just trying to get cheap, cheap points. And uh, yeah, man, I, I did it really just to like have one creative outlet. I took this comedy stand-up class in New York City. It was right near the uh, bus station, Port Authority, so uh -huh. it was convenient to go back to Jersey after class. And uh, my buddy Lee Frank taught the class. I didn't know him at the time, but I know him now. And I was like the best one in the class. And there was a way to like have a social life, talk to women, go out, do something that wasn't just sitting around New Jersey picking my nose. And when did you realize, like, you, you, like, did, like did you feel comfortable with it like right away, like within the class, like did you, you feel like I was? I didn't feel comfortable. It's a good question. No one ever. I didn't. I, I didn't feel comfortable in the class. But the f first time I went on stage in public at an open mic, even for the class, like the class went to Ye Old Triple In across uh, on Fifty Fourth Street. Yo, that's where I did stand up for the really? very first time. See that? Like an open mic there. Yeah. I followed a bongo player. Like, they had everybody yeah, there. Yeah, that's where I did stand-up the very first Me time. Me too. Five minutes. Me too. It was what Fleet What year week. was this? 89, April 1st. That's fucking crazy. Yo, I'm not bullshitting you. I'm not bullshitting you. The first time I did stand-up was 89, either May or June of 1989. No fucking bullshit. April Fool's Day, I did it. After midnight. And you remember feeling... That this was like... It was like... Uh, what I imagined parasailing felt like or hitting a home run at Yankee Stadium. Like, and I wasn't even, I just got maybe one or two laughs. And it wasn't even my material. My material slipped up. But it was Fleet Week and there were these Navy guys in the front row just out for a free laugh, you know, no cover charge. And I made some joke about like, how do you keep mustard from getting on those white uniforms? Just some bullshit to shut them up. And they laughed, and some chick said to me, like, oh, that was funny what you said to the Navy guy afterwards. And I was like, ding, 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 connection made. This and, is amazing. And of all the sports, you said you were a long snapper. I can't even fucking see you, like, bending over to touch your toes. That's fine. <laughs> Just getting cheap points. But all the sports, all the film studying and all that stuff, like, you knew, like, this is something that you had, like, comfort with. All the shooting around, all the football practice, you knew, like, for me, it was the same thing. Like, I love, love, love sports. But the first time I actually read sides to actually act, I was like, it, it was everything that I dreamed that I could be really? with sports. Really? The, literally the first time I read a scene. So what, like a backup third baseman? Like a backup third baseman. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's why I knew this shit was coming. At least I'm the greatest at what I do. <laughs> You're sitting here setting up your own podcast equipment. I'm surprised you haven't hung yourself with these wires. <laughs> I wish your fans could see what this equipment you have here. This is like something you stole out of a New York cab that you turned into a podcast recorder. I feel like New York One. Can I get New York One on this thing? <laughs> Look at this thing. Folks, if you saw this, if you saw this in the street in New York, you would call the bomb squad and go, what kind of wires are coming out of this? Everybody's got a podcast now. Yeah, but they also have a studio and producers and like, a, and, and, and the equipment is plugged in and... <laughs> There might even be some soundproofing. We're out here. The gardeners, like the dogs licking my asshole. <laughs> instant coffee. Oh, <laughs> what do you think of my wife's coffee? The best, I, best instant coffee I've had in 15 years. <laughs> you know, they invented coffee makers since then. Kiba, Kiba. <laughs> She's cool. She's cool. No, you could get her too. No. Kiba, you could do better. I don't know what you're doing. My wife I'll said distract it. him. You run. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as shit talking, yeah, and and that style that I mean, when you first started, like the roasting is like sort of like what you're known for. Uh huh. But when you started, did you start doing comedy? Like, was it were you were you in that shit talking? Like in the roasting, or like when did that become like your knockout punch? I love it. It didn't even. It wasn't part of my stand up at all for a long time. I did comedy from. For years, what it's year just like 89, that first time, April Fool's Day. And it wasn't until the mid-90s that I even th knew about the roast. I was doing like observational dating, poetry. I did love poems. I'd Funny have, love poems? I'd have like music playing, dim the lights. Becky, I said, you're the girl for me. Becky, I said, you're the world to me. Becky, I said... Will you marry me? Jeff, she said, my name's Karen. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was cute, but it wasn't roasting. Right. And when did you find, <laughs> you You did good. Yeah. You were working, you were yeah. moving. And comedy was like. I was on the road opening for Chappelle at the colleges and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, MTV half hour comedy hour, pop it up. Right. You know, I wasn't quite even sure I wanted to be a comedian. It was still like. Almost like a hobby at that point. What did you think of comedy back then? Because it was like kind of like that was like sort of the the disco like eighty eight the eighties was huge for comedy. Nineties there's a bunch of Chappelle, Sandler, Sarah Silverman. I used to see you at the the Improv. I mean there was fucking Jay Leno, but I mean there was Seinfeld used to be in there. Rob, I mean there was motherfuckers Norm Macdonald, Janine uh, Garofalo. Yep. These were all people that I looked up to. They were all ahead of me. So it was catching up to do. And that was a good time to come up because there were good comics like that, I, that people respected, that I respected. So I thought, oh, all right, you know what? A smart person, a reasonable person can do this. Before that, I thought comedy was old guys in tuxedos and the Catskills doing right. old jokes. Other pe it didn't interest me. It didn't even occur to me that that would be something I would want to do. And what, which one of those guys did you respect the most at that time? And there were so fucking many. I mean, some of them are, aren't even around. Some of them have turned into, you know, iconic people. Uh, uh, I mean, there was, 
uh, it, it was so many people that would come through the comedy. I mean, Rodney Dangerfield, hey, I would see him at the improv. Only a couple of times that I see that guy live and get to see my name on a bill at the Laugh Factory on a lineup with with Rodney. You, I never really got to talk to him. He might have like grunted at me once. Right. But he's my, whenever I'm feeling blue, which is very rare, but if I'm ever feeling sad, I'll just type in Rodney Dangerfield into YouTube. I don't even have to watch it. Just the voice. Hey, I'll tell you, nice backyard. <laughs> Great coffee. In this house, we pray after we eat. <laughs> hey, I'll tell he you, lived, he Michael lived, Rappaport. He now I know a- why lions eat their young. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike. <laughs> did you see, did he ever come out with like a, like a bathrobe? At the, did you ever see him? He'd always a, in a bathrobe. Always or, in a bathrobe. Or, or, or a, what is it called? The Cuban shirt? Guadav- Gua- Guadavera? Gua, yeah. Gua, Guada, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But he, I would see him in my neighborhood when I was a kid, before I even, like, I mean, like, talking about eight, nine, yeah. Caddyshack days, yeah. walking around in a bathrobe, pajamas, and flip-flops at the deli, like, oh, you know, drinking coffee at right. the, and then, you know, you, and then you realize who he was, you see him at the comedy clubs and shit like that. Out of all those people- When uh, the world, that's, to me, that's true success. When Earth is your green room, when you're like, all right, I'm going to go out to- any restaurant I want in a bathrobe and slippers, and everybody's going to still love me. That's true. That's love. I get what you're saying. I, I, I actually, I, I strive for that. Like, I, I sometimes imagine, like, myself being 70-something years old and people just accepting me as that crazy person in the neighborhood. <laughs> like, you know, like, uh, he's no harm, no foul. Like, like the, the way Dangerfield was. Um, but as far as your shit-talking on stage... When did that become a thing, like a go-to thing? And was it the audience? Was it like, you know, presidents? When did it become something that you would go after? What do you mean president? Like, was it like you'd go after, like in the 90s, you'd go after Clinton? Or was it oh, directly yeah. people that you, you made? You know what? I, I had jokes about everything all the time. You know, I read a lot of news and pop culture. But it was always the moment. I'm a son of a caterer, like I said. The party. So whoever was right in front of me. If I had a joke about the news, I would do it off the people in the front. Did you vote? Where are you from? You know, like, and then get into my jokes from there. I always wanted to bring people into it, like a crowd pleaser. I always got weirded out by comics that were up there going, men and women are different, or guys, you know, I would look out at the audience and see nothing but guys trying to get laid, couples, dates. And then comic before me would go up and talk about, like, HPV or herpes, and I'd be like, what the fuck? I realize those are important subjects, but it's a buzzkill. It's a cock block. Would you know, you? I want to. I want to. I want people to see my show and go, and come up to me afterwards and go, "I'm going to get laid tonight, thanks." Or you know, we saw you last month, and then we went home and had the best bang of our entire. You know, like you want to be a wingman to the world. When you're doing stuff on stage, I mean, you, you, the way your act is now is different. But when you were fu- fucking with people on stage, did you did you feel like? Like, you can read, like, if people are into it, not into it. Because one thing that I really respect about your shit-talking, your roasting, and this is something that I'm not good at. Like, I have to be emotionally involved. Like, I can't talk shit about somebody unless I don't like them. Right. Like, I have to, like, like oh. anger and sort of defense mechanism comes to me. You're able to sort of unemotionally shit on everybody, and I think that's why it has that Don Rickles, Rodney Dangerfield thing where it's not mean-spirited. When it comes to me shit-talking, like, I'm like... I'm like, for real, whereas you're able to do it in a sort of pleasant way. The key for me 
is I am the opposite in the in that you're 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 all, in, in essence talking about smack talk in a from a sports mentality. Yes. Or a political yes. person. Or personal. Right. But for me, if I don't respect and admire that person, it's not going to be funny. The person that I don't like is the person I ignore. Ah. And if I leave you out of the roast, then you should be insulted. Ah. That's good. If I roast somebody, if I roasted you, it was your birthday, whatever it is, I want you to go home and go, oh, my God, that was fun. You wouldn't believe what Jeff Frost said about me. I like that. When you're, when you like all the people that you've done with the, ro the roast. I and mean, that's why I have longevity and you're going to burn out in another six months. <laughs> you're walking around going, when I'm 77, you'll be working at fucking Coffee Bean. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Wearing a hoodie like you're 12. You're already fucking halfway. <laughs> Shit. You're an actor. Why do you act like you're prepared for one? <laughs> <laughs> Got us holding two boom mics in his backyard. <laughs> this is what I wanted. <laughs> but but seriously, how long have you been cutting your own hair? <laughs> <laughs> Got one. Got the dog holding one camera. <laughs> It's great. I never did a podcast where we had a hold for planes before. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jeff, can we take a commercial break? The, the, the landscapers here. <laughs> <laughs> the pool guy's coming by. Can we wrap it up? <laughs> you don't mind if uh, the lady comes in and vacuums while we're doing the podcast? <laughs> the lady. Uh, <laughs> What are you drinking, by the way? What is that? Ginger ale. Oh, that's some good. kind of bullshit ginger ale. This is fun. What yeah. else? What else do you want to know? No, so with with the roast. Yeah, I love how big a fan of comedy you are. That means a lot. All kidding aside, that's no, cool. No, come on, man. You, you always we, been that way. We were fucking excited. Like, I mean, I'm like fucking Jeff Ross is coming through. I mean, the, the, you know, with the bumping mics. Like, we're like, um, but but as far as the people that you've roasted, Pamela Anderson, William Shatner, Flavor Flay, Bob Saget. Blah, 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 all of them. Justin Bieber, Rob Lowe, fucking Donald Trump. Who was really caught in their feelings? I haven't seen all of them. I've seen most of them. Yeah. Did you ever real realize, like, while it was going on, that someone was like, what the fuck have I gotten myself into? You're going to love this. Oh, you, this story is so built for you. I made one person cry one time. Who? Your favorite actor. Danny Aiello. Friars Club Roast. Packed 1,500 people, his friends, his family, the highlight of his career, right? I love Danny. I love Danny Aiello, right? So he says, I want to get roasted. So every Italian comic, every Jewish comic is lining up. Everyone loves Danny, right? And he's hot. He's as hot as he could be, right? Della Ventura, CBS, prime time, right? He's on every bus for two weeks, every... F telephone booth, every billboard, Della Ventura. He looks cool in a suit with a scarf and his sunglasses. This big one-hour cop drama. Tons of hype. He's doing all the talk shows. The roasts are Fridays at noon, right? It's a luncheon at the New York Hilton. So everybody goes up one after another. The Italian count, Dick Capri, Pat Cooper, right? Belzer goes on. 
who loves Danny Aiello. They're old friends, right? And 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 Belzer goes on. Now the show's premiering that night, Della Ventura, Friday nights on CBS. Belzer opens the New York Post and reads the review. Now Danny hasn't seen any of this yet. It's the morning it all came out, right? There's no internet yet, right? It's not it's late nineties probably. Maybe it's two thousand I don't know. And uh he starts reading the review, and it's bad. They're mean anyway, right? But it's extra mean. And this is a guy who has nothing but love, right? Danny Aiello. Not, he throws out so much love, you know? So now he's feeling, ooh, and Belzer's ruthless. He finishes the post. He turns to the Daily News review, and he reads that. And he's throwing in his jokes. Then he are people laughing, or are they like... People are screaming, People are screaming, and Danny is slowly turning, and you don't know what's going on, and he's hearing it all for the first time. Then he reads the New York Times review, then he reads the Hollywood Reporter review, and, you know, he's reading the bullet, different part, and, and, and you, see, you see Danny, like, his whole head is, like, spinning. This has gone from show to nightmare, right? <laughs> and then I go on, and now Danny's sort of, like, a little shaken up. And I forgot some of my jokes. I remember one was, uh, you know, your acting is so over the top in this new, they should call it uh, Ace Delaventure. <laughs> <laughs> and I had my pal Ernie Barry play accordion and I sang some Italian song, like some funny song. Like I really schmaltzed it up. I did like a Godfather reenactment with uh, Ava Vagoda. I made my whole roast into like, Almost like sketch. Uh-huh. Like I had already done a bunch of roasts. I wanted to mix it up. So I really, and I love Danny. We'd eat lunch all the time. Really? Oh, yeah. And uh, I killed. Danny goes up at the end for his last licks, his rebuttal, and he loses it. He just starts crying. And he's getting emotional. And he can't really get through his speech. He's, he's, all, he's all messed up. And he keeps saying that it's not the reviews and everything. It's the roast. He's saying he misses his dad and he wishes his dad was at this thing. There's, it had a, I don't know, man. <laughs> He's an emotional guy. He's an emotional cat. You're lucky he didn't get mad. This bald cocksucker! <laughs> you buried my fucking show, you big bald cocksucker! Kimono-wearing motherfucker! <laughs> it's a fucking roast! I'll hit you over the head with a fucking club! <laughs> You fat fuck you! <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, yep. I would. I mean, he's so sweet and so sensitive. Yeah, Danny, as you know. Yeah. That I would mean, but I guess shit, man. That one, that one hit him so hard for whatever reason. I think it was a lot of things all at once. He had a show coming right. out. You know, did his son pass? No, his son was there. It was a really, in that way, it was a, a really good night. And that his friends and his family were there. His son was still around, and. uh and I remember after that going, boy, you got to really be careful with these roasts. You got to have not just thick skin, but you got to be in the right place. Right. It's a lot to take. Right. The, the ones on Comedy Central, the, the ones that have been on TV, what, have, have there been a response from people? Because, you know, like everybody's getting roast. The roasters are also roasting. Right. But has, has anybody ever, you felt like, oh, shit, this is, like they, they sort of had that same response? So, see, here's the thing. On the Comedy Central roast, they're so carefully vetted. Nobody's, we're not roasting anybody unless they're really down, really down. It's not like 
a Friars Club roast for Danny Aiello where it's like a career achievement lifetime award. Got You're going to you. roast Justin Bieber. It's because he wants it. Got you. Right. They, they're there. They He's know what's coming. He's calling us going, hey, this might be a good thing. Might be fun. Do you think Jeff would do it? You know, right? Here's some. You know, it, 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 he's had a rough year. He got arrested for racing a Ferrari and this right. and that. He's been smoking herb, this and that. You know, and I'm like, yeah, if he's into it, we'll do it. Now, and so so then so then once they're volunteering like that and they're ready to not just take it but dish it out, then you're I got a homer, right? Because you also set them up at the end. Yeah. Do, now, now the well, Trump they go through all an hour and a half of building all that goodwill for their rebuttal. You take all the shots. They take a lot of shots. By the end, you want to hear what they have to say. Bieber got abused. Sure. I mean, he got he he. I mean, his FaceTime when he was watching it. Sometimes you could see he was like, it was like a fighter. It was like yeah. it's the eleventh round. Go back out there, kid. And he was like, okay. You mean they fucking destroyed him? I, I did a bunch of jokes about Selena Gomez, his girlfriend, leaving him because. Uh, she she didn't like guys that 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 she, she didn't like having a thicker mustache than him. <laughs> <laughs> She's dating men now. I said <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of really good jokes. I go I go Justin, you've been taking a everybody's been pointing their fingers at you lately. Mostly just lesbians telling the barber how they want their haircut. <laughs> <laughs> There was a lot of lesbian jokes. When, when you're when you're doing those jokes, like you could really only test Justin Bieber jokes the night of Justin. Right. So when you're doing those roasts, most of the time, is it the first time they're coming out of your mouth in front of a crowd? In front of a crowd, yes. Sometimes it's, I'll try them out at a comedy club, but you also run the risk of them getting out. Somebody right. YouTubing it or blogging it. So you got to really keep them on the down low. It's like the jokes for me, they're like they're potent. And the more you put them out there and spread them out beforehand, you water, you potentially water them down or expose them. And I like to keep my stuff really top secret. Is that a, how much, like when we were talking about like early that the 89, 91, 92, 93, you can do comedy and the, the jokes and your bit could, could live. Now the comedy clubs, I noticed they're really tight about not recording them, um, but how much has that changed in terms of you know people bootlegging and putting it up on YouTube so your act doesn't get fucking stale? Like you know, for you, are you conscious of that? Yeah, the comedy clubs I work at um, are are police the room, you know, and the fans are becoming more and more astute as to they're seeing something special. It's a live performance. This is not to be watched, you know, on the toilet on your iPhone tomorrow morning. This is like I want to see the eyes. I'm up there. I'm working the crowd. Right. Sure, if I pull up Uncle Murray on stage and everybody's like, oh, they pulled our uncle up. Let's let's get a picture. Right. I get it. But if I start talking about politics or sex or drugs or whatever, I want it to be in the moment. I don't want to look at your video camera. It got out of hand for a second with the cameras, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, now with comics... You know, I was on the road a lot last year with Chris Rock all over the world, Scandinavia, and he got it from Chappelle. <clears throat> I did Radio City with Chappelle last year, uh, about a year ago, and he would hire this company, um, and they would take your phone. It's called Yonder, Y-O-N-D-R. Mm -hmm. Every single person, 20,000 people walk into an arena. You take your cell phone. There's people at the door who put it in a little case uh -huh. a little pouch they call it with a magnet on it and you go in and 
you can keep your phone and you can feel it vibrate, but you can't answer it. So if you want to answer it, you got to go to the lobby and they unmagnetize it. So now there's no bootleg recordings of right. the show. Because it fucks your shit up. It, it not only distracts you in the moment, how are you going to sell it to a network if everybody's watching on YouTube? Right. Especially if you're playing at that level. Right. Right. No, I, I get it. I understand. And, and it would be, and you know, to be up on stage in, in a small comedy club, forget a big place with people where you could see their eyes and they're yeah. doing this shit. Donald and plus, plus you want the jokes to be provocative. I don't want to be self-conscious that this can be taken out of context later on. Like, you know, everything's watered down, but comedy, it's like medicine. The last thing you want is your medicine to not have its full potency. But how do you deal with this now? Everybody, Kevin Hart, the Oscars, you know, whether it's, you know, I mean, the comedy now, especially for a shit talker, especially for someone who, who goes to the edge, especially you play with race, gender, sexuality, all your jokes, it's all shit talking. And I love it. This is what comedy is. I mean, the best comedy is dark comedy, whether it's a, a film or, or, you know, someone's pain, Richard Pryor, or whatever the fuck Robin Williams would do, gay voices. He would do every single thing in a half an hour. Sure. And, and now you can say something that can literally fucking end your career. You don't even have to jerk off in front of a woman. You can say something and it could be like, he said, da-da-da-da-da, at the Laugh Factory, and the next thing you know, you're a fucking hashtag. Has it made you think twice? Because when you're a shit talker, it's like, like a boxer. You got to let your hands go. And you're not thinking about it, right? right especially right. when you're flowing and you're, you're just... trying to kill. You're, and you're just going. And like, especially if you're, like, things are just coming out of you. Has it made you sort of like pull your punches? No, and I'll tell you why. Because I don't put... The hard stuff where it doesn't belong. Meaning what? Meaning I don't, I don't tweet the jokes on Twitter. If I'm at a charity benefit or a, I, don't do the, I don't do my hard. I, I'll, I'll make an appearance, mess around a little bit. <clears throat> but if you want to hear the A game, you got to come see me at a comedy club or watch my show on Netflix. And that's where you'll hear the real deal. Mm -hmm. I don't put it out there where it doesn't belong. It, it, it makes me crazy that people go, I was offended by your tweet. Well, you don't follow me. How did you, how, did, how could you be offended by a joke I didn't say to you? What, what are you talking about? So somebody tapes a joke of Tracy Morgan in a comedy club in Tennessee and then like puts it online. Like he didn't say those things to strangers. He said it to people that came to see him and paid for his ticket. Same for Kevin Hart. I'm not going to defend what he tweeted, but what I'll say is like, he didn't, you don't have to follow him. Right. People go, I was offended by your, your podcast, Michael. Well, what are you listening to something you're offended by? What's right. wrong with you? You're spending time listening. I'm offended by people that are constantly offended. Right. What would you do with the like the Kevin Hart situation? You know Kevin. Everybody knows fucking Kevin Hart. Do you think like for me? I wish he would have stayed in the pocket, but he's a smart businessman, and you know I, I don't know what is your, your your take on that whole situation. He's a little guy, but he's grown, and that's what he should have said, and and said I'll answer the rest of this on the show. Right. Let him do a big teachable moment in the monologue, and then I asked I asked another buddy who knows him really well. I asked Chris Rock about it. I said, what's, what's up with Kev? Like, is he okay? And he said, 
you got to remember, Chris, uh, Kevin Hart makes a million dollars a night. You can't talk to him like a normal person. The Academy should have come at him in a much different way. What do you mean? They need him. Right. They should have vetted that shit ahead of time. They should have had a plan for how to deal with it because they knew it would come up. And they should have handled it better, I think. I would have loved to see them host the Oscars. Yeah. I, I but mean, what I think it makes a bigger statement about TV and entertainment, I'm not sure there's an audience for a show that appeals to everybody anymore. I agree. Everything is fragmented, narrow. I love this show because it talks about these types of people. I love this kind of comedy because it, it speaks to me in the gut, you know. And that's why all these streaming services and podcasts and, and there's every type of comic for every type of sensibility now. Right. I'm not sure there's an audience uh, uh, for a billion people who all want to watch the same thing. To make, to make it a good show. Then it won't be a good show. Yeah. It might be like bland. Yeah. And the, the Academy Awards, no matter who's hosting it, it's going to have those dips because it's three hours and it's censored and whether it's Eddie Murphy hosting or Billy Crystal hosting, it's going to have those ebbs and flows. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck they're going to do. This happened already. Eddie Murphy bowed out one year. Right. You know, imagine taking the gig and then not taking the gig. Those guys are professionals. Kevin Hart has never missed a gig in 20-something years of doing stand-up. Comics are reliable. Right. You tell us we got to be somewhere at a certain time. We're not just there early. We're prepared. Right. So for him to go in and come out, that's a big, that's a, that's a baller move. Yeah, I mean, shit, it's... That's like saying, I don't have just fuck you, I have fuck everybody money. Right. You, you know... And he yeah. did it quick. And he wanted to do it. Did you see his tweet? Like, yeah. He was into it. He was really inspired, and he, uh, he was honored, and he, he's like, this is a dream. So he, he, he didn't walk away lightly. As far as podcasts, everybody's got a fucking... Po the podcasts are literally like assholes. Thick Skin with Jeff Ross on iTunes. Do you like doing your podcast? It's a hobby. I love it. Why is it? Why you say it's a hobby? Because like you, I do it in my house. I do it when I feel like it. And it's fun talking to people. Do you interview people? Yeah, but only not, not celebrity interviews. My Aunt Donna will come by and we'll talk about, you know, <clears throat> she's a teacher. So we'll talk about the shootings in the schools or something like that, you know. My, my, my sister's mother-in-law, Alice, worked, worked in advertising in New York in the 60s. So I'll ask her about harassment back then. That kind of thing. I got you. I do like a friends and family type scenario. I got you. And before we get to Bumping Mics with Dave Attell, the Netflix special, which I fucking love. Thanks. Donald Trump. When you roasted Donald Trump. Yeah. Did you have any inclination? First of all, what was your... What was your um, dealings with him tell me about like your dealings and what your impression of him with before the camera was rolling did you have dealings with him conversations with him before i roasted him on comedy central i had already roasted him at the friars club not recorded not recorded okay and i'd already been to i've already and i'd already done private gigs for him at mar-a-largo been on his plane you've been to mar-a-largo uh, i stayed there and you've been on his plane with him yeah so what is he like I mean, before president, like, what was Donald Trump like? What's his fucking story? You get on this plane. You're, you, you, it's like, a, it's like a flying catering hall. It's beautiful. There's a, you know, a Renoir on the wall in the in the plane or something. Is everything gold? Gold and wood, you know, just like you'd expect it to be. Um, he's very charming. He has a great sense of humor. 
and this is a long time ago. He's evolved or devolved since then, but at the time, he was a great guy. I remember we get to Mar-a-Largo, and the first thing he does is put his arm around me, walks me over to the uh, front desk. He goes, give me the keys to the caddy. And he's like, Jeff, this is yours for the weekend. Have a good time. You know, brought me down early. You know, I did a show uh, for the members of Mar-a-Largo. They paid me well. He called me himself, made me the offer, flew me down with my buddy, had a blast, and he, he introduces me as his favorite comic. Uh. So, you know, you, you, he's, he's a billionaire, so you're charmed. And he's, did he, like, he's like a New York guy, right? He just wants to tell dirty jokes. He wants to ask dirty questions. He wants, he's just like a regular guy. And then now, after seeing, like, is the person you see as the president having personal experience with him, whatever it is, is it the same person? Like, what are you seeing now just as somebody like, I've been around that guy. Is it the same guy you're seeing? I, I, always, I always tried to have a ray of hope that he'd come around once the elections were over. Me too. And then shortly after, he pulled out of the White House correspondence dinner. And that's a roast. And as the roast guy, I was like, huh, what's going on here? Uh, first year... That's, and that's when I got a little scared as an American. I was like, this is one of the greatest platforms in America for the First Amendment, where a comedian every year speaks truth to power, teases the king, right? This is what keeps us from being a dictatorship or a monarchy or whatever. In America, a comedian can goof on the president. Right. Jimmy Kimmel roasting Obama, right? Stephen Colbert roasting George W. Bush. Right. These are great moments in, in American history. Right. Not just comedy. Right. Like, here we go. Like, this is exactly what a free country is all about. Mm -hmm. And when he pulled out of that, he really lost me, man. I, I realize there's a million other reasons and people are listening going, that's what did it. But the truth is, that's as a human being, I was like, hmm, I think he's, I think he's in a different place than when I knew him. He's not the guy I really knew 10 years ago. Right. No, I... I, I Shit. That guy, the guy I knew 10 years ago, was like, bring it on. Roast me. Roast me at the Friars. Roast me on Comedy Central. Roast me at Mar-a-Largo. Give it to me. I don't care. Nothing's off limits. He got it. He loved it. His shtick would be that he didn't like. He would act like it wasn't funny. Right. I remember in the, in the Donald Trump roast on Comedy Central, the whole thing was about, oh, I'm going to run for president and this and that. And we all kind of bought into it and made it funny and made it interesting. But... Seth MacFarlane did the opening, and Greg Giraldo, who was one of the funniest guys ever at the roast, went on. And and Donald didn't really crack a smile. Mm. He's like, you know, kind of smirking. And I was a producer on the show. So I went up to him in the commercial break. And he already knew me for years, so he trusted me. And uh, I said, Donald, you know, you don't have to crack up, but if you look like you're having fun... You'll look like a good sport, and we can cut to you laughing instead of cutting to the audience laughing at you. You'll be in on it. And he said, oh, okay. He kind of got it right there, and he opened up a little bit. He opened up a little bit, but he always liked the roast. If he did the roast again, if you were to do a roast of him now, do you think you would be able to do it in that way that we talked about earlier, not mean-spirited? Or would you be emotionally invested? Like, I got to fucking knock this guy down a little bit. Do you know what I'm saying? I think when I have that much history with somebody, I could do it. 
And I think I could do it in a way that even he would sort of get a kick out of it. I can't say he would enjoy the whole thing, but I think everybody with an ego, Michael, loves to be the center of attention, even when there's a target on their back, especially him. Like, he loves the attention. So if it's about him and you hit the right angles and you get to... I think comedy brings people together, even in the even in the most uncomfortable ways. Sometimes it humanizes people. I remember him and Hillary doing those dinners where they would crack on each other a little bit before it got really, really, really ugly. Uh, the Al Smith dinner, they uh-huh. roasted each other. They did. Yeah, you know, during the election, and when they both kind of laughed at each other, um, I thought, all right, you know what? If he loses. There won't be a riot in the street. Maybe he'll want to go back to his comfortable life because he was threatening all kinds of things if the election didn't go his way. Right. And I thought, oh, you know what? Maybe things are going to be okay. And then as soon as he got in, I ran into him right when he got elected. Well, you I, ran into him. Where would where you see like a at Starbucks? A golf course, at a golf course, at his golf course, one of his golf courses. I didn't know he'd be there, but he was there. And it was Christmas time. And I already started to see him kind of go in a different way. He was charming as ever. Jeff, you're my favorite. You're always my favorite. You know, he's teasing me, you know, about different stuff. You know, he's like, you were funny with curly hair. I like you better this way. You know, just kind of goofing. You know, we're playing around and I'm asking him about different things. And I was just a day or two back from Iraq Uh for Christmas. And, uh... You were performing there. Yeah, I was there with General Joe Dumford, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who's about to retire. Shout out to the chairman. And my cousin Ed and I, we were over there with uh, Kelly Pickler and, uh, and uh, some other people, Chef Robert Irvine. And we had a really fascinating time doing shows Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, all over Iraq, a bunch of shows, moving around. And... You know, I land back in America, and a day or two later, holy shit, here's the incoming commander-in-chief. He sees me, hey, waves me over, and I think for sure, hey, man, you know, I just hung out with General Joe Dunford, you know, the chairman, you got a great team, you should be excited about some of the generals, and he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, how do you think Arnold's going to do on Celebrity Apprentice? That's what he was interested in. He really wanted to talk about Schwarzenegger, Celebrity Apprentice. You know, it, he couldn't have changed the subject quicker. I was like, yeah, I was just in Iraq. How was it, a mess? How do you think Arnold's going to do this on Celebrity Apprentice? While well, he's dipping his cheeseburger in mayonnaise. You saw him dip his fucking cheeseburger? I saw it. <laughs> man. So, I don't know, man. It's intense, intense times. All right. Is comedy dead? It's thriving. It, it is thriving, right? And I think he's a big reason. That's guy, his wife saying the other comedians are getting uh, careers on on my husband's name. Because, I'm like, because she knows he's a comedian. We're doing his act. He roasted his way into the Oval Office. Right. Those debates. Right. He was great. Right. Don't you think that in order to beat him now... Somebody needs to be a shit talker. And I do. And I I don't think that's a crazy notion because 
if you really read about the people that started this country, if you look back at Hamilton, mm. that play, they were rap battles, but those were based on the insults that they would throw at each other. Mm. And there is a real grace to all that. It, it encapsulates an idea. It's a way to argue without it getting ugly. It's a gentlemanly, if you will. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not a proper word anymore. But for if Hillary had worked on her act. Right. Instead and had of, some zingers. Or, uh, yeah. Winston Churchill, arguably one of the greatest statesmen of all time, used his wit to put down his opponents. Because with Trump going forward, I truly believe, like, the Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high, that won't work. I never knew. I was so mad when I saw that. I mean, in normal, in normal situations, it's, yeah. it's okay. But with him, in order to compete with him in the upcoming election, you have to. Unless some fucking buddy comes down like it's like an Obama type of person. But even Obama would talk shit with him. He'd do it in a slick way. But other than somebody like that, you have to be able to like, you have to either make him think that you're going to punch him in the face at the debate. Like literally, you have to make him like feel like, yo, I don't care about any of this. I'm going to punch you in the face. Or you have to be able to verbally All smack right, him. I'll just say it. I spent hours and hours and hours and hours writing ideas for Hillary for those last two debates. After I saw the first debate, it was right when roast battle was starting to take off and the counterpunching. I really saw, and a few people looked at me like I'm crazy, but I knew some really connected people. And I knew a senator. I'm not going to say all the names because I want to, I don't want to, I want to leave them out of it, but I worked on it really hard. And I knew I, and it got past one level, then a second level, and it gets to Hillary's people, and they go, this is really great. And it wasn't silly insults. I was so obsessed when he got the nomination. I didn't watch a movie or a TV show for a couple of years. Like, I was really following it. I knew what was going on. I'd gone to the debates in Brooklyn. I watched Hillary and Bernie debate. Like, I kind of knew her moves. I really understood it. And I worked tirelessly trying to pull her out of that funk I saw after the first debate. And then he tried that stunt of bringing Bill Clinton's accusers to the front row. Um, what was the zinger that you had? I wouldn't say it was a zinger, but the, basically the point I would have made if I were her in that moment was, Donald, do you think you can intimidate me by bringing these women to this debate I was Secretary of State. You know, let me just say, Donald, I'm glad I'm, I'm running against you because I'm going to prove to young women all over the planet that if you stick up to a bully, you, even you, any, any girl, any woman can be president. Mm. You know, it, it was that. It's just turning his bully stuff. It wasn't comedy stuff. It was more... I had jokes in there, but... To me, it was about standing up to a bully. The notion of we go when they go low, we go high. Fuck that. You better, you better go right in the gut. So if the next person who's running, whoever the fuck this is, would you reach out? I mean, I don't know who it's going to be. It could be Kamala. It could be fucking, God forbid, if it's fucking you know, cream cheese on the cheeks, uh, Bernie Sanders, who I don't <laughs> want him to see him do it. He can't do it. 
he can't beat him. And but but he can if he gets on some real vaudeville shit, or it could be fucking disco Joe Biden, fucking crying Cory Booker from <laughs> Jersey. Would you give the? Would you offer your assistance? Because I see there's no way to beat him. And if it's a guy going at him, you can because he's talking about his dick hands and this and ugly wives. You have to go at him hard. I think I think you have to. And I always think that if Hillary instead of becoming, people always say, what has Donald Trump done for the working man? You know, they get really mad. They go, you know, why do, why do, why do these blue-collar people line up to go to his route? What has he ever done for the working man in all his years? In the, I go, he's entertained them. Right. And, and Hillary Clinton, arguably the best resume in the history of presidential politics, instead of becoming a senator or secretary of state, sadly, if she had gone on Real Housewives, she'd probably be president. She would have entertained people. Sadly, we're not as sophisticated as we think we are. And he did. He knows how to talk to people. Construction work. Great job, man. Even me. Hey, you're always my favorite. He'll charm the pants off somebody. Right. And then brag about it. Right. And I'm not saying it's right, but what I'm saying is it's happening. Hey, Bill Clinton did the same shit. I mean, the fuck. I met that guy for three minutes. I was, and he's his older Bill Clinton. And I, and he, I was like, I got it right you know, just the way, there's just a thing. It's just a thing that you don't have. I don't have it. That makes them not just want to be president, but makes the people go, oh, that guy's a good bet. Or that gal's a good bet. Yeah. And those guys have it. It's a charisma. It's, it's a, it's and a it's thing. And it's also probably why they do things like have sex with playmates while their wife is eight months pregnant. Like, they they even know, they, they start to get so in their head that, that they're like a king and they could do whatever they want. Right. The untouchable. Um, all right. Bumping Mike's Dave Attell. How did the whole thing come about? Me and Dave. Um, well, for years, I loved, you know, I love Dave. I don't know how much you know about Dave Attell, but he's one of the funniest guys, the fastest guys. He thinks in punchlines. Uh. And I just go downstairs at the comedy cellar and I would just watch him. And sometimes I'm off a plane from L.A. and Dave's got the last spot at 1.45 in the morning, packed house at the Comedy Cellar. And I want to get on, I wanna, but I don't have a spot. So Dave would just go, Jeff, come say hi. And I'd have my coat on. I'd walk up there and, hey, Dave, man. He'd be like, how was your flight? And then he's setting me up. And next thing I know, Dave, how was your trip to uh, Seattle? And he's like, oh, you wouldn't believe what's going on in Seattle. And next thing you know, we're we're... We're in tandem. Mm. We start to know each other's moves. We start setting each other up. And it became like like the Ramones or something. Like jokes per minute, fast hits, quick. No, no ballads. No slowing down. For a long time, Dave wouldn't let me even do one joke about pop. Everything had to be quick, 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 easy going. Um... And over time, it evolved into, like, I wouldn't say it's an act, but it's like a band without instruments. Uh-huh. We, we, we hit the right notes, and then we bump mics when we feel like we spark something new. Did, when you guys were doing, before the, the Netflix special, did you, you toured together? Yeah. Did you do... Did you do your set? Did he do his set? And then you rocked together? Everybody would think that's what we would do. And even for a while, we thought we might do it that way because the fans would expect that. 
But over time, it became more interesting for us to just say, fuck it. I'll come in from the left, you come in from the right. We'll each have our own mics. We'll have them play just the two of us over the sound system. And we would just do it the whole hour and 15 minutes. We would just do it together. Sometimes after half an hour, he needs a cigarette so bad, he'll pretend he's getting a phone call on his flip phone and walk out the side door and leave me up there for 10 minutes so I would do a little set by myself. But the truth is, it works as a, as a team. I don't think there's anyone else I could do it with. Right. Like there's something about us together. He's very negative and I'm very positive. Uh-huh. And somehow we meet in the middle. Uh-huh. And... And then we had friends and family come to the shows. You'll see on the Netflix show, like, you know, everybody from Michelle Wolf, Amy Schumer, Hassan Minaj, You Paul got my Rudd, number. I see all Bruce those people Willis. there. I didn't get a fucking phone we were call. Tro- we were hoping to get laughs. On the list of people who do a good Danny Aiello impression, you were up there, number three. <laughs> <laughs> the third best. <laughs> but no, go ahead. So, then we made it into a party. We didn't ask our friends to come up and do their act. Right. Just basically riff with us. And basically, you're another prop in our... You're just another audience member. We're not asking, you know, uh, Michael Che to, to, to give out his best material because he's got to save it for his shows. Right. But yet, he could kind of hold his own. Right. And and give us some shit, but yet still just sort of be in this mix. Right. It's almost like we're not even on stage at a certain point. And I love parties. Like I said, a son of a caterer. If you could turn your stand-up show not into this precious thing that has to be blocked and lit and rehearsed. And you got to hit every joke the same way. And you do... Most comics do two shows and they wear the same outfit and they cut them together into the best scenario. And I said, how can I make Dave comfortable? What if we don't do it at a big theater in Portland or Seattle or Chicago? What if we just do it at the end of the tour at home with all our friends and family there and no makeup, no blocking, just get our buddy to direct it and do not two shows, but six shows so that we never are thinking about getting it right or wrong mm-hmm. we're just up there almost like doing a podcast on stage mm-hmm. and just let it happen and then when it's all over see what we have do what do you think of comedy today in terms of the specials and there's so many great comedians you know netflix is such a great form it used to just be hbo then it was hbo and then MTV and then Comedy Central. So now you have a bunch of places. You got YouTube. You got fucking, you know, Louis had the straight to straight to his audience. What do you think of comedy now? Because one thing that I'm noticing that I'm paying attention to it, you know, like the pacing of, you know, it's like comparing music genres or even basketball, but like the pacing of a George Carlin. You know, Robin Williams was always fast. The pacing of like a, a, um, a Richard Pryor. The pacing of, I mean, there's so many different guys. It was like they'd be, Red Fox, I've been watching a lot. Rodney, you know, like. All my faves. They, you know, like there was different things. Now a lot of what we see is like, it's got to be like tsunami comedy. Where it's like, hour long special. And you're like, oh shit. And it's hard to even absorb all the bits because there's no, you know, like Chris Rock would walk across the stage. There'd be a little silence, you know. You'd see him sort of the air. 
a little bit, you Attention, know. Attention, I call it. Whatever the fuck it is, but now it's like they, it's like, you know, because I think our attention spans are fucked up from the phones and the TED Talks and, you know, you could change the channel. Like, so much of the comedy is like, do you have you noticed that change in terms of the beats of what's presented on TV, at least? You're saying the difference between a long special and... I feel like people's attention spans get shorter and shorter and shorter. And I've always been about the jokes per minute. When I'm doing a show by myself, it's fun to slow it down. And, you know, Rickles would have a sincere moment at the end where he'd just stop, have a drink, sit on a stool, talk about his mother for a couple of minutes. Maybe the band's floating in the background playing, playing you know, some, some music under it. And I love that, too. I really do. But when I'm doing my shows either by myself or with Dave, to me it's about the JPMs, the jokes per minute. I like it so fast that when we do stop, it's not because we have to. It's because the audience needs a break. Oh. You know, magicians have a word for it. It's like, uh, uh, I forgot, my friend Bernie Shine says, like, uh, amazement fatigue or something. Like, I remember years and years and years ago um, watching Brian Regan. It was one of my first gigs ever was emceeing at Catch a Rising Star in Princeton. And Brian Regan was the man. And he went on for a 50-minute set, right? Every night I watched eight shows, Tuesday through Sunday, a couple shows on Fridays, a couple on Saturday, and I got to really watch how a great comic works early in my career. And he would kill so hard for 50 minutes, but I noticed every night about the 30-minute mark, he would just stop. He was killing so hard. And what happened was you'd see the audience, oh, oh, they were laying down like they just came out of a sauna or they just ran a marathon. And, and for that, he'd stop. Everybody would pick themselves back up, put their shirt back where it was, fix their collar, wipe their head, look at their buddy. And by the time they took a sip of their drink and a bite of their mozzarella stick, Brian would do his last 20. Mm. He gave them a breather because the JPMs were so on fire. Mm. And to me, that's like the Ramones. That's like, give me a two and a half minute uh, rock, 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 rock and roll high school. Mm. It's over in two minutes. Mm -hmm. Then if you want another one, here's another one. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, maybe you slow it down. I like that. All right. A lot of times when I have athletes or uh, rappers on the podcast, I asked their top five favorite MCs. Jeff Ross, if you had to say your top five favorite comedians, your personal favorite, in no particular order, you could throw six as a cherry on top, who would your top five, and if you need a cherry on top because you feel bad, who would it be? Well, I'll just start from when I was a kid, sitting at the top of the steps. I couldn't, I wasn't old enough to watch Johnny Carson, but I would listen to Buddy Hackett make my parents laugh in the living room and I'd get in trouble if I was up. So I'd, I'd hide at the top of the stairs and I couldn't see him, but I could hear him, you know, telling dirty jokes on Johnny Carson, you know, the farmer and this and that. And that, that timing, that delivery, like I said earlier about like wingman comics, you listen to Buddy Hackett's act. It was all about 
fucking and, and, and orgasms and, and food and, and farting. It was like stuff that was like fun to hear about. Uh-huh. And I really love that. I really admire Chris Rock. I watched Chris Rock all last year. He took me to Tel Aviv. He took me to Copenhagen. He took me to, uh, uh, I did his MSG shows. I did his, uh, his homecoming show in Brooklyn at the Barclays uh, about a year ago. Um, we went all over England. We did the O2 and the Wembley. And I watched this guy yeah. every night and I go, this is not a comic. This is a band. This is like ACDC. He does an hour and a half Shit. concert. You know what I'm saying? With just himself and a microphone. And when he would tell a joke, the jokes were like five or ten minutes long. And I'd watch the tension build. He'd make the guys laugh. Then he'd make the women laugh and the guys uncomfortable. Then he'd flip it. And then by the end of the joke, they were both laughing together. And I was like, wow, that's like a song right there. And then Buddy Hackett, Chris Rock, Chappelle and I just from the years hanging out in the village he's like my kid brother we spent 9-11 together mm. i've seen this guy become not just a comic but a prolific philosopher so i really admire him i don't even think of him as a comedian anymore he's something else mm -hmm. he's like the pied piper mm -hmm. you know um oh boy that's that's three that's three you got two more on a pure like What's he going to be talking about level? Like, if I'm going to sit in the audience and watch somebody, it'd be Norm MacDonald. Really? I love his delivery. One of my first ever road gigs was opening for him. I learned a lot. He kills me. He's not like me. So, to me, it's like, I don't feel like I've, I could guess where he's going with these twists and turns. Uh -huh. His stories. Then he'll hit, like, quick jokes, you know. Daylight savings time, huh? I don't know. I give it six months. You know, like, <laughs> he can do it quick. Right. But yet he can also slow it down. There's something between Garrison Keillor and him. Like, like, like I feel like he's, he's a great storyteller. Okay. I love Norm MacDonald. But I think my favorite comedian is, is David Tell. And that's why I like doing this show so much. Because not only do I feel like I'm expressing myself but i also feel like i'm playing tennis with serena williams i'm up there raising my game volleying staying in it you know and doing something that no one else can do which is keep up with dave so he was my favorite comic before we were really bumping mics together but um yeah i, I would say he's my all-time fave all right jeff ross the co-star of bumping mics with Dave Attell, three-part series. It called a series, mini. Like you they're calling it a Netflix original series. It was their idea for us to not do one special to to break it up. They wanted us to do more. We 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 talked them down to three. Right. Because we're, we're we we like to keep it potent. So there could be more. There could, could be. be like season two. We haven't talked about it. Dave is hard to get him to commit. He doesn't like splitting the money. He likes doing his own thing. Um, but you never know. All right, Jeff Ross. Guy needs no fucking introduction. Now, now, this is this is your last chance. Do you have anything you else you want to say about me? Because I said like I would love if Jeff Ross touches me up a little bit. I know you've had some success in acting, Michael, but you're unattractive even on a podcast. <laughs> 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 All 
Jeff Frost, I am Rap Boy Stereo Podcast. Love you, bud. Thank you. you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. I want to thank guest Jeff Frost for rocking on the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. Definitely check out Bumping Mics with Jeff Frost and Dave Vitell on Netflix. I appreciate you coming through. Uh, I told you it was a good interview. I know it was a good interview. I'm proud of that interview. Um, And you're only as good as the person you're interviewing. Mr. Morris, thanks for uh, standing by here with me. Thank you. It was a pleasure to see you do what you do when you do it. Um, it's the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast, okay? We are in stereo. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, one more can I say? Miles, Jordan, take us out of here with something real nice, something real proper.